Leaders are people that perform at a high level, but they teach other people how to perform at an even higher level. It felt so much better to create success in other people than it did to even create my own personal success. I love that the way that I created my own personal success was creating success in other people. In order to be good at something, in my opinion, you either need a skill set or a mindset. And in order to be great at things, you need both. Life doesn't get easier as you get older, so you need to do things now to make yourself better. And that will make life feel easier as it's more difficult. It is impossible not to live a life of wealth while living a life of empowering others to become wealthy. Owen Trapp is focused on bringing his best and helping others to do the same. He has worked on both his skill set and his mindset in order to achieve high-level success, and he continues to strive to improve. But his greatest joy is felt through impacting others. Owen aspires to change lives by pushing himself and his team through their comfort zone to experience maximum growth. His lessons can help you bring out the best in yourself. This is Cutco Vector's Legacy Division Manager, Owen Trapp. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. Hello. One of the things I've enjoyed most about running this podcast is the chance to talk to and get to know a lot of really amazing leaders from all throughout Vector and Cutco. And in some cases, people that I haven't really had a chance to get to know before and don't talk to on a regular basis. Today's a great example. My guest is Owen Trapp, who is the division manager for the Legacy Division in Northern New Jersey, along with a sliver of New York State as well. Owen has been in the Vector Cutco business for 10 years, since 2011. He started in Central Jersey, ultimately went to college at West Virginia University, graduated in 2013, sold about $162,000 personally of Cutco during college, and then became a district manager in 2014. He's had great success as a district manager and was promoted to take over the legacy division in September of 2020 officially being promoted to division manager here uh, right about the time that this podcast episode is going to be released. Owen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to have a conversation, get to know you better. Excellent. Sounds great, man. Well, take us back to uh, 2011 and how'd you get started with Cutco? 
So I actually, one of my regrets is I wish I started when I originally heard about the job. I feel like there's probably a lot of people that feel similarly. I got a couple calls from friends or from, you know, obviously the the offices uh, that some of my friends started in. And I really was, I had a negative mindset. I was convinced it was a scam. Actually, like two weeks ago, I was on Facebook and I was looking at my memories, which like sometimes are very cringeworthy. But I saw, <laughs> right? Like, I feel like I love some of them and some of them I'm like, thank God I'm not this person anymore. And I saw a conversation I was having with, uh, with one of my friends, Joe. And I was like, dude, that's a pyramid scheme. But I like spelled everything wrong. And like, I was so convinced. And one of my regrets is I wish I started when I was younger. I wish I started in high school or, you know, my freshman year of college, whatever. And then, uh, so I, I kind of brushed it off the first few times I heard about it. And my friend, Rob, who at the time we went to high school together, we weren't really like good friends. Rob Brandt, my sophomore year of college, he reached out to me. Uh, I didn't even have his phone number. And uh, I answered the phone and he told me that I, so I, at the time I was at Fairleigh Dickinson uh, University where there's two campuses in Jersey. There's a Madison campus and a TNET campus. And I was at the Madison campus. He w- was at the TNET and he was thinking about transferring. And he called me up and he's like, hey, do you mind if, uh, if I come and check out your school? And I was like, of course. So we hung out and the next day I had to leave early. He's like, I have to go do a presentation. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing a presentation for? And he's like, I sell knives. And I was like, that is the sketchiest thing I've ever heard. Right? I you <laughs> and immediately I was like, I'm not going to do that. It, it took me two years to actually check it out. That next summer, I worked at a beach club. I was a towel boy. I was like, to, I literally, if, if, if someone is listening from my training, I say this every week. I was like to say, I was a pretty big deal in the towel industry. Uh, the summer after that, I was valet parking. A few like the realizations that I had were I, I wasn't happy with what I was doing or learning or earning or who I was becoming. And uh, I feel like the average person, when they're in that situation, they just complain, right? They don't do much about it. And mm-hmm. I wanted something new. You know, I wanted to find out something new. I went on Craigslist. I was looking to either supplement my income or uh, I was looking to replace it. And I saw the knife thing and it was two years after or about a year and a half after Rob originally told me about it. And he just convinced me to go in for the interview. I don't know if he said this or, or I developed the mindset, but I, I told myself, it, I'm going to try it for two weeks. Uh, the worst case scenario, if I try it for two weeks is I could put professional sales training on a resume. You know, I'll actually be able to find out if it's for me. And if, if it's not for me, I'm in the same place that I was two weeks before. But at least I, I tried something new. And obviously, as time went on, I ended up really loving it. I, I loved you know, what I was learning and the opportunity for me to be in control of my pay. And I never expected to be here 10 years later, but I'm so grateful for you know, the opportunity that I was given that summer. Yeah, that sounds cool. I like what you said about how before you came here, you weren't happy with the things you were doing. You weren't happy with what you were earning. You weren't happy with what you were learning, what you were becoming. Like You recognized that there was an opportunity for more for you. And, uh, and this turned out to be the place that helped to provide that for you. So that's really great. Tell us about some of the early experiences you had that stand out. Yeah. So like I said, at first, I was okay as a representative. I had, one of my first goals was to beat Rob's fast start. Rob had like a $4,000 fast start. So I sold like five. And I would say that a lot of the times I worked when I needed money, right? So I kind of dabbled in it until... And I would say probably a lot of people can resonate with this. It, you know, My first big push period was SC2 that summer. 
I actually, funny like story is, I started in, in basically a branch. So it was like me and four other reps. And uh, Rob is actually was working at the division manager's office that was about an hour away. And my branch manager wasn't going to do morning phone jams. And I remember saying like, you know, I want to compete. I'm very competitive. Let's do morning phone jams. And I like recruited everyone onto our team. And uh, as a competitive person that liked to talk probably too much, uh, we made a bet, right? So we made a dress bet where if at first it was, if I didn't sell 10K at uh, bot for the conference in the 17, 14 days, whatever it was, I had to wear a dress on stage if I did <laughs> sell 10K, right? And he, he came up with this. He's like, you're going to see tons of people there with dresses on. And uh, if I did, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So, and you know, cocky young kid, I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this. It was, if I sold 10K, I got a K bar. And uh, there was a girl in my office who was like, we had like friendly banter. I like recruited her to our alliance. And she's like, how about if I beat you, you have to wear a dress. And I was like, you know, all right, whatever. And I totaled my car the second day of the push. So <laughs> selling 10K uh, and this girl at, uh, ended up having a picture of me in her blue book. And she showed it to all of her customers and sold 12K for the push. So the first conference I ever went to, the first time I met our, my region manager, everyone, I curtsied on stage giving my like 10K report. <laughs> and I just remember, I just remember the competition and the camaraderie. One thing I would say really drove me as a competitive person. So our division ended up finishing number two. We lost to, uh, we lost to Pennsylvania. We lost the powerhouse. And I remember my division manager was giving his report on stage and powerhouse like ran on stage and, and you couldn't even hear my division manager. And I remember just saying like, I can't wait to crush them next summer. <laughs> I just, as someone that played sports my whole life, I just, I loved having something where I could compete. And that was something that it pushed me. It, it made me excited to work harder. I say all the time to my team that I love is uh, working hard for something you don't care about is called stress. And working hard for something that you do care about is called passion. Right. Mm. And I feel like as someone that I played two years of college football, played football my whole life, being able to have something that I was passionate about, you know, competing and and improving at in my life was something that really drove me. So that summer, uh, I sold a little, uh, probably 25, 30,000. And I almost didn't come back. So at the end of my summer, uh, I went away to school. I had actually transferred to West Virginia at that point. And I was, I was a terrible student. And so I have no clue why, but my mom decided to buy me a new desk uh, and surprise me with it, which is like a very nice thing for her to do. But she threw away my referral notebook after my first summer all of them, right? Which is, I tell my kids all the time that they use then that to keep track of their leads. I'm like, guys, if I had that, right? So Rob had to convince me to come back and uh, be his head assistant manager that next summer. So I moved up about an hour and a half away from where I lived. And we didn't have virtuals at the time. I had one person I knew in the area. I ended up starting from one person and just building out leads where, you know, I got, actually, I probably got like 10 from them. I saw a few of them got leads there and you know here and there. That summer, I started SC2 with 17 people to call. I sold 17K for that push. I finished with 500. I sold like 335 or whatever in the last two months of the summer. And we finished top 10 nationally for the Silver Cup. That next summer, I sold like 50 or something. I've always liked learning new things. Even though I was, I never loved being a student. I, I taught myself coding languages and uh, graph design when I was younger. So I loved that 
I always liked learning things that I felt like made an impact, you know, like that I could actually like utilize and can make a difference in my life. And just growing myself, I saw the growth and I felt very motivated for the first time in a while. I appreciated, you know, being rewarded for my effort and and the company just takes such good care of people that work hard for them. And I, I love that culture. So awesome. I love that stuff. Love that you are competitive. I think that's a great tool to have in the toolbox. Also, the idea that you loved learning while you said you weren't a great student at school. There's a lot of people that fall into that same category. There's a Jim Ronism where he says, uh, formal education will make you a living, but self-education will make you rich. And yeah. he just talks about the difference between formal education and self-education. And not everybody fits in with formal education. Sometimes the things that are taught aren't motivating or inspiring or are boring. But that doesn't mean that we can't be a great student of life and be great at learning skills and things that have value to us that we can share with others. And that's an awesome thing that it seems like you've been able to do. Yeah. So there's a spoken word, a poem or whatever. I don't, I don't know what it, it's necessarily called that I love. It's called Why I Hate School But Love Education. Uh, and the concept is obviously school, it, one of the goals of it is to educate, but there's so many other platforms and vehicles and resources that we have, especially now. So like growing up, I always say, the reason I started coding is because I was always grounded and I had nothing better to do. So I was like, you know what? I want to make a website, right? And I started making websites. And I've always resented when people said like, oh, I wish I could do that. And it's like, but you can, you know, like nobody just automatically learned a skill. People went out and they found the resources and they made it happen. And that's always been, you know, my mindset is like, I'm, you know, I might not be good at something now, but why can't I? You know, I, I said it in training every single week, I say, I have a mindset in, where in life, I personally never believe that I'm any better than anyone else. But I also don't believe that anyone else is any better than me, right? So if someone else could could do something, why can't I? And I, I think that that's a, a trait that has you know obviously helped me attain the level of success that we have. Outstanding, I love it. Great stuff. Hey, the key to bets like you made with the the girl in your office is not to lose. That's the key yeah. right there. I, there was what? not one other person <laughs> there in a dress, by the way. If you were wondering, it was just me, and it was kind of like it was more of like a shirt. Because I'm six two, uh, so it's more like a shirt and my boxers. But you know what? I was memorable. Right? <laughs> when I was an assistant manager, I made a bet with a a rep in our office, the top rep in our office, for the last push of the summer, which is our like conference of champions or SC three, some people call it. And the bet was it was totally one sided. I got nothing if I won, but it was if she sold more than me for push. I would wear my FSM pin in my ear at the conference and she could jam it through my earlobe. Like she could basically wow. pierce my ear with my FSM pin. And uh, I got I got good news is that uh, you know, you can see my ear here, there's no hole right there. So I did uh, I, I did take down that bet. FSM pin in your ear. I was like, wow. <laughs> no, I was definitely motivated to not have somebody jab a a, a small nail through my earlobe. So I, I, I fired myself up to sell more than her. The reason that so many times people don't hit their goals is because they give up halfway through, right? They, hit, they face adversity and they say to themselves, I wasn't that committed and they give up on their commitments. And mm -hmm. when they have something that they actually want to fight for, 
I think that so many times it helps people attain success that they wouldn't have if you know they went through those challenges without really having their skin in the game. I also have a running bet with my team where if it's during a push, and honestly, it's it's next summer um is gonna be I'm gonna need to raise it, but we also do a bet where the past two uh, two or three years, the biggest week we've had is as an office is not a little over ninety seven thousand. And every year I'll pull out like during SC2 or whatever, say if we have our first 100K week this week, I will let someone on the team tase me, right? And uh, (laughs) the story behind that is uh, a few years ago, I was, I said, 2017, uh, I was like, if we have our first 100K week, I will buy some, we'll do a raffle where everyone over a thousand gets a a raffle entry into it for like a free TV. Right. And we have a biggest meeting in the office of the year. There's like 50 people. And someone's like, uh, what if instead of a TV, we get to tase you? Right. And I'm like caught off guard. I'm like, where, what, where did this come from? Right. Like, this is crazy. And I, I picked someone on the team that I felt like I had a really good relationship with, Kid Harrison, who I, I do, he went district. He's a really good kid. And I was like, Harrison, like, if you won the raffle, would you want like, tase me or would you want like a brand new tv right which is like the trick is you always give them the second one is like you know what you want them to pick and harrison like looks down for a second he's like well i already have a tv and i was like and like that's how the tase bet is yeah so that is wild oh and that is wild i have had bleach my hair bets with my team which they achieved and i have photos of me with a yellow head that are really funny I've had shave my head bald bets, which I set high enough that I made sure that I did not have to do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not sure I would allow someone to tase me, but uh, it's a little, little wild, but I like it. I like it. How excited they get about it. Like, it makes me feel a certain type of way. I'm like, well, should I feel weird about it? But like, and then every once in a while, you'll have like the person like, I don't want to tase you. And I'm like, well, you're my, you're my new favorite. I appreciate you very much. But nice. Yeah. That, that's some funny stuff right there. I like it. So you graduated, uh, Owen, from West Virginia in 2013, and then 2014 rolled around. You ended up becoming a district manager. It was unusual circumstances. It was a really interesting time in our company history. I know you've got a little bit to tell about that. Let's, uh, let's get into your journey to become a district manager. Yeah. Uh, so I would say there probably are very few people that, that have you know, similar circumstances. In order to be like good at something, in my opinion, you either need a skill set or a mindset, right? And in order to be great at, at things, you need both. You need a skill set and you need mindset, right? And I, as a rep, I had a pretty good skill set. I had a you know, like $900 average order. I closed on like 85, 90% of my demos. I averaged over 20 referrals per demo, but I was very short-sighted, right? Like I wasn't focused on development or growth. I wasn't focused on planning. I was, I was very focused on where I was in that moment and how I was feeling. And I really didn't plan on going district. I didn't know if I, I wanted to like, you know, have the responsibility. So I was not really even super active going into 2014. I had a, a lot of job offers. I say all the time, my team is like, one of the things that I really learned is if you could prove to a manager or a business owner that you could create sales for them, you're going to be a wanted commodity. And I'd so, I knew so many people that I had presented to that had said, when you're done with this, let me know. You know. And I was interviewing around. I wasn't active in 2014. And in April of that year, right before the summer, 
my friend Rob bought his first house and he had a housewarming and we hadn't talked in like four months. That night I told Rob, I was going to come to the office and start selling again. I was going to come make some calls and book some demos. And he's like, cool. So we both at the time lived a little over an an hour from the office. And I was on my way up to the office. I'm probably halfway there. And uh, Josh Resizer is a CSP from our division who I'm really good friends with. And he told me that he overheard Rob uh, telling one of our friend's parents that he was leaving the company and that a bunch of other people were leaving the company. And uh, I didn't believe him because in my head, I was like, man, like Rob and I started this team together. We, you know, we started an office together and uh, he's like, no, I've heard Rob, you know, you should, you should reach out to him. And I called Rob and I was like, dude, there's like, is this like true? You didn't let me know. And he was like, I was, I was actually going to tell you today, but I looked over the comp plan, the compensation plan for, uh, for reps and managers and uh, it didn't make sense for you to leave Cutco because the, the reps here make way more money. And I know that you didn't want to be a manager. And literally out of spite, I was like, F that. F you. I want the office. Right. And he called the old division manager. He's like, all right, let's talk when we get to the office. He was like shocked. Right. I was shocked. I don't, I don't know if you've ever said something and like you're like halfway through and you realize what you're saying. And <laughs> you're like, what is going on right now? I want the office. Like uh, I had no, no money saved, all that stuff. So we get to the office. He called the old division manager with me in the room on speaker. And the division manager at the time said, great, great. By the way, don't tell him that I might be leaving because it's not done yet. And Rob like looked at me and you're like, shushed me. Uh, And then he called Earl, who's the region manager. And it was a two minute conversation. And basically Earl's like, it's his. Right. And then Rob packed his stuff. Right. He packed all the stuff from from his you know office and he left after we changed the lease to my name. Uh, we changed the electric bill to my name. And then I was in charge of this this desolate office that literally at the time had one active rep. And it was it was a huge mess. Uh, I never run all of training. I'd run one day of training. I had no documents. I had no division manager. I had no savings. I had no business plan. I had no team. I had nothing. And uh, t- there were two people that I, I called originally that had left the business that when they started our first summer in 2012, my first summer as a head assistant manager, and I reached out to them. Uh, the first one is, is V Simpson Turner, who's one of my best friends to this day. I was a groomsman at his wedding. We lived together. And he was at like $30,000 in sales over like two years, but he had quit. He moved on. And uh, I was like, hey, dude, I don't know if you could see yourself getting excited about being a part of, of the team that I'm building, but like, if you would, I, I would love for you to be there. And he, his response was, I want the role that you had your first summer as an AM, which was like really cool because I felt like that meant that that role impacted him, mm-hmm. and he's like, but you need to keep selling. And I was like, what do you, why do I need to keep selling? He's like, we need a top rep. And I was like, it's your turn. Right. And that summer uh, he went from, I think his biggest week out of his fast start was 2K, 200-hour average order. He sold 51,000 that summer. The next summer, he was the number one student in the nation. He sold over 120K. And the second person I called was Brian Scuderi, who ended up coming back. He was at like 20-something thousand, had quit two, uh, two years before, came back that summer, sold like 30K, a little over 100, and then actually won two silver cups as a district with us uh, and was promoted to DVL. And... uh those are two good calls, right? And everything yeah. happened. And I always say, I'm so grateful that I didn't overthink it. 
Like if it wasn't for just the moment getting thrown into it, one of the best decisions that's ever happened to me wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have, you know, experienced the experiences. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah, you were in the right place at the right time. And the opportunity came to you. You may not have felt in any way prepared for that opportunity, but it was there in front of you and it was worth taking. And I just think about when people jump into an opportunity and go for it, very seldom do they look back and you know have any regret that they that they tried. Even if somebody fails at something, they, usually they learn enough that they feel like it was worth their while. But it's when people have an opportunity and don't take it that they often look back and wonder, God, what would it have been like if I had just done that? And so, you know, kudos to you for being willing to just to jump right in there. And I use the analogy, I say this to, to, you know, people on my team all the time is we overthink things like so frequently where it's similar to if you were in the like desert, right. And you're walking all of a sudden you see a pool. The first thing you're going to do is jump in. Right. But the longer that you think about it before you actually jump in, you say to yourself, is it a mirage? Am I supposed to, am I going to look stupid? Am I, you know, this, that. And so many times we either, you know, dip our toes in and we never get the full experience and never really the understanding and salvation that we were looking for, or we just completely avoid it. And uh, I think that a lot of the times, you know, it, taking advantage of opportunities in the, the moment of that opportunity is something that is, is so valuable for growth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To be clear to anyone listening that uh, hasn't read the Vector History books in that early part of 2014, a company that wanted to sort of emulate the Cutco Vector program and was very deep pocketed came along and tried to recruit a lot of people with Vector Cutco experience, particularly in the New Jersey, New York area and out here in California where I'm from. And so your manager and a number of others were pulled into that opportunity. And this created the spot for you to be able to take over the territory, take over the office. Pretty crazy that you just decided right there on the spot, you know, no way, man, I want the office, I'm doing it. And just stepped right in without being prepared or trained, but took on the challenge. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Tell us about some of the transformational moments you've had as a manager. Yeah. I mean, I say all of the time that my first summer as a manager I think that someone's first few months as a manager is going to be the the experience that creates the most growth out of almost any point in their life. And for me, it just it forced me to grow up, right? Like as a rep, I wasn't a professional or like really building a business. I wasn't really growing myself. I would say there was a period of time where I I wasn't a you know a bad place mentally. And when I became a manager, all of a sudden. Like other people, their success was dependent on me, right? Like it was, I didn't want to let them down. And uh, that's what I, I, exactly what I needed to grow. I needed to put myself in a position where I felt more pressure. There were certain people that on my team that I wanted to be able to make an impact on that were truly impressive. And I, you know, I was like, I'm going to need to grow myself to be able to do that. One of the things that I learned about myself personally was that it felt so much better to create success in other people than it did to even create my own personal success. And I love that the way that I created my own personal success was creating success in other people. Right? My favorite quote is that it is impossible not to live a life of wealth while living a life of empowering others to become wealthy. 
And the thing that I love about that I've always loved about my job as a manager is the way that I get paid is by getting other people paid, right? So we've had success. We've always been able to to develop some higher level reps, and we we win push periods because we're competitive, and you know we've grit that type of stuff. One of probably the coolest moments as a manager was my second SC two push as a manager. Well, so actually the first one I'll I'll hit on real quick. So the first one. We ended up finishing uh, number three in the region, which is pretty cool. We lost to Ryan Trembler and Kate Arbuthnot at the time, now Vassie. And uh, I remember Kate coming up to me and we finished really strong. I didn't know how to manage a push going into it. So like, it was a mess at first. Then, you know, I thought that they were just going to sell more. And uh, we finished really strong. We, our last like three days, we sold 52,000 or something. It's like a brand new office. And Kate came up to me and was like, Hey, the way that you guys finish is like super impressive. And, you know, that was like a really cool moment where I'm just like, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't see my probably my first year, I had no clue what was going on uh, as a manager. And then that second summer is when we put together our best push ever. Even to this day, it was uh, 17 days. We did like 240, uh, 240,000. We had uh, the number one rep at the conference was V, who as a 21 year old, in like 17 days, sold $52,000. So we made like 26 grand. Uh, we were the number one office, the number one district team. We had the number one new rep, 17 reps over 10K or uh, 13 reps over 10K. And we literally, there was a raffle for a red homemaker and Brian Scuderi on my team won that raffle. And, so, and they're like, Brian Scuderi from the Morris team. And someone was like, the rich just keep getting richer. And it was like, we took everything. Like that was, <laughs> that was such a cool moment. And for me, like I actually just found this screenshot. So one thing that I do is I always screenshot my appreciation text that I get from people. And I have like a folder on my phone. So when I'm not, when I'm low energy and I'm not feeling great, I could like go through that. And uh, I was, I was looking through that the other day and I found this screenshot, which to me is the best, most powerful compliment I ever got as a manager. It was Brian Scuderi. He told me that... So his best friend, Corey, Corey Mont, I'm literally going to his wedding next Friday, uh, worked in our office. Uh, he sold over $100,000 as a rep. And his, at the time, fiance, uh, Maggie, said to Brian, she said, I guess, I don't know how it came up, but she's like, Owen's a kingmaker. And he texted me that. And I was like, what does that mean? And uh, he said, uh, everyone wants to be, and like, this is like verbatim, everyone wants to be king, top dog, boss, et cetera. But you come from a place of service leadership that doesn't make you a king, but it makes kings. And to me, like leaders are people that mm. perform at a high level, but they teach other people how to perform at an even higher level. And uh, that to me is my whole goal is, is just to make other people better. And in the process, I love that that's how you know, I'm building my business. And just moving forward, and, and that's how I make a living. That was so good, Owen. That that last little section that you just shared, the kingmaker comment from you know from Maggie about coming from a place of service leadership that doesn't make you the king, but makes others kings and queens, of course. And the fact that you said you you realized you felt better about helping someone else achieve than you did about achieving your own success. That's what we call enlightened self-interest. It's like you realize that you're going to get something out of it, but you're pouring into others to help them. And the end result is you do get something out of it. But the motivation is in the service to others. That's so powerful. 
Earl has said that this is a great strength of yours, that you're amazing at developing others, particularly sales leaders, that you're great at helping people believe bigger. Let me have you speak to that for a little bit. I love developing people. You know, like if I, I just want people that I'm building a business with. And one, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. So mindset or skill set can make someone good, right? Mindset and skill set are how someone becomes great, right? So I'm trying to help someone grow that skill set, but I'm also actively working on helping that person grow themselves, right? Um, I'm a firm believer that in terms of helping someone succeed at anything, but especially something that they're new at, one of the most important things is helping people manage their emotions, right? Like, especially if someone is newer to sales, right? Sales is so up and down and not... it's so up and down. It's, you know, and a lot of people are very polar emotionally where they either feel really good or they feel really bad. I remember as a rep all the time, I was either the best ever or like I was in, you know, some side of some type of like turmoil where I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to sell Cutco again. And I actually think that it's almost it, like for somebody in terms of emotional management, it's helping them for the entirety of their career. I think at first it's more at, like actively helping them and teaching them how to do it themselves. And then as someone gets better, it's just helping them feel good. And sometimes, you know, just reaching out and being like, hey, you're really good. Right? Like you're really good. And sometimes like people need that reminder, like, hey, you're really good at this. Right. And just, you know, allowing them to feel good and like letting them know, like, hey, you got this. Right. Like whatever you're going through, like you got this, like you're a badass. Right. And I think sometimes people need to hear that. In terms of like developing people, the questions that I'll like ask myself are in terms of the, where they are at the moment, what were the th- lessons that I needed at that stage? Right. So I try to write talks from the perspective of things that I wish I heard, right, at different stages. You know, I'll ask myself, what are things that I heard or learned that leveled me up and changed me? Right? How can I create experiences for people that will allow them to grasp that lesson? Right? What's the next thing this person needs it right now to improve? Obviously, in, in having that constant focus on personal development is so powerful. But it's just like simplifying it and saying, like, what's that next thing that we could help this person tweak a little bit that is going to make that exponential you know, change, that shift, that level up for them? And, uh, and just helping them grow personally, manage their emotions. But yeah, development's the best part of the job for me. Like I want it partners in, in the business that I'm building. I want, you know, to be consistently developing people. Yeah. I love what you just shared right there, Owen. That was excellent about, you know, some of the things on developing top performers, starting with building their belief. You're really good right? You're awesome at this, right? Just words of affirmation to help people to internalize that, yeah, I can do this. Like that's a great first step. I love like newer reps, right? Like a new rep makes a sale their first weekend. I'm like, dude, you have no clue what's even going on yet. And you're already doing this. Like imagine once you get it, you know what I mean? Like I, I want them to be thinking from the perspective of like where they're going to be, not where they are, right? I want them to be like, hey, Imagine once you get 20 demos under your belt, imagine, you know, this and that. And I have them thinking about that and visualizing that because I want them to realize that where they are is not who they are and it's not where they're going to be. Right. So it's just constantly, hey, you're, you know, you're good. And I say this, I have a kid on my team 
Jacob DeFuro, who I love to death as a high school senior, the $27,000 fast start. And, uh, you know, just ran a second branch over 150K in personal sales the past couple of years. And I tell him all the time, like, you are so good, but you're not even close to where you're going to be. And that's so scary. You know, like, that's so awesome. And that's the truth. Like, I said it at a conference at our SC2 conference. Like, the, the reality is nobody has ever seen our best. And right? nobody's ever seen us at our best. And that's exciting. You know what I mean? And obviously, we're never, you know, necessarily going to get there. but there's so much opportunity for us to level up and grow and that should motivate us. Yeah. I love how you're balancing the affirmation. You're great at this. You're awesome. With the idea of what's the next thing that this person needs to take it to the next level? What's the next skill that if I can help them develop is going to level them up another notch? So there's constantly a building up that happens verbally, but there's also the skill development that happens so that that confidence that they're feeling turns into increased results and even higher expectations and higher confidence as they progress. It's a great upward spiral that I see you're creating with the people around you. Yeah. And they, I think it's so important that people understand that no matter where they are, there's another level, right? Because I think that too many times people feel like, okay, I'm here. This is where it's going to consistently be, but there's levels to this. You know, like we have reps like Curtis and Brandon, Brandon Brown who are selling a million dollars in a year, right? Like that. And you know what, in a couple of years, there's probably going to be a rep that sells $2 million in a year because those reps, there's, there's another level to it. And that's something that people I think need to, I think sometimes people get, it's daunting because they're like, Oh, um, you know, but that's exciting. It's like, you know what I mean? Like I'm already doing this, but what about when I'm here and they need that longer term picture so that they're excited about growing. So they're coachable, right? They, they want to learn, you know, the corny saying, but it's so true is like the more you learn, the more you earn. And there's so many things, no matter where someone is good, there are areas that they could be better. And that's, that should be exciting. And I think that having that, you know, that reinforcing that mindset of, personal and professional and skill development and growth is just, it's just so important for people to develop themselves. Yeah. And I love that you tie in emotional management as well, because everybody is going to have ups and downs in their results. And I've always sort of used a visual with reps that your results are sort of a roller coaster with some pretty high ups and some pretty low downs, but your mindset, your attitude your emotions should be a little less of a roller coaster. There might be some bumps and some dips, but there's not these giant ups and giant downs for somebody that is emotionally stable. And that's something to practice. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to every single person. Some people are better at it than others, dating all the way back to their childhood. But it is something that I think we can all develop and become better at. And it is a big part of success as well, that that, uh, emotional management side. I completely agree. Yeah. Excellent stuff here. I'm wondering, Owen, as you're teaching these things with others, are there other signature concepts that you love sharing with people that you feel maybe define you? Yeah. So I am big on just embracing discomfort. Right? A quote that I love is that uh, the people on this planet that are the most successful are those who have the largest comfort zones. And the only way to grow your comfort zone is to step outside of it. Right. If we're always comfortable, 
then we are we're never learning right we're just doing what we've always done and we're staying where we have always you know been we're just doing the same things and we're we're stagnant so discomfort's a growing pain right like do things that make you uncomfortable so that you can grow and you can learn your new stuff i'm big on like i always say like it's okay to make mistakes as long as you make aggressive mistakes i say a lot of the times i tell a story of my dad was my football coach growing up in Pop Warner. And I feel like when your parent is your coach, it could go one of two ways. They could either like coddle you or they could crush you. And my dad was not a coddler, right? My dad was, was a, a crusher. And well, one of the lessons that he taught me that I loved was he always said, it's make aggressive mistakes, right? It's okay to make a mistake as long as it's aggressive. If it's passive, where you're afraid to try something, you're not, you're not like learning. You're not like learning what works. You're not you know, going out there and actively pursuing greatness. But when you make an aggressive mistake, you're putting yourself in a position where you can do something extraordinary. You could do something great. You, you find out what works and what doesn't and what you could tweak. To me, playing always beats sitting on the bench. You kind of hit on this earlier. Is for me, I look back a lot of the times as a rep and there were times where... So my, in my second and third... And now my third summer as a rep, my third SE2 and summer, I didn't set big goals because I was afraid to look foolish if I didn't hit them, right? And I let my ego get in the way of going out and, and trying to attain something big. And what I learned is the worst feeling is just looking back and wondering what could have been. Like, what was... I, like, I like to put it, the worst feeling is not knowing what you were actually capable of. Mm-hmm. Right? You could say to yourself, oh, I think, you know, I could have done 100K or I think I could have done this or that. But like, at the end of the day, you never know. And, uh, you know, it, going out and, and falling short, it, at least you gave yourself a shot and you know where you can make tweaks and level up and, and you're better in the future because of it. But we made so many mistakes, but we, we also went out there and we did things that other people weren't doing that worked at a high level. And that's why we've had successes because we weren't afraid about like further mistakes. We were excited about the opportunities. Excellent. I love the idea of aggressive mistakes, Owen. There's so many applications to that. You learned it at sports and it applies in so many other places. And just being being willing to embrace discomfort, to grow that comfort zone. I think about push period and vector and some people would say like, oh, whatever. It's a two-week, two-and-a-half-week period of time. How is that a big deal? And it's just the reps and the managers that buy in and go after it for a push, whether it's your big summer push or some other push during the year or wherever it is, the reps that just go after something that's a short amount of time, but they put their best into it and they're willing to like push their comfort zone constantly for that short amount of time, they get so much out of it. They remember those experiences forever. It's incredible. So I always, to kick off push periods, start with the lesson of that there's, let's say there's four boxes, right? And the first one leads to the second one, which is uh, our self-belief, right? Uh, determines like our capability and, you know, our potential, right? And then our potential leads to our actions, right? Like if we say in terms of Cutco, I could be a 100K rep, that's going to be someone that does more, right? Like if we're like, I'm, I'm probably not very good at this, you know, I don't have much potential. We're going to, we're going to get put out, you know, less. Right. Um, and then obviously our, our actions, our activities determine our results, right. And our results create our self-image, right. So we have self-image, which leads to 
our potential, which leads to our actions, which leads to our results, and then right back into our self-image. And there's one of those things that we can actually impact tomorrow. And that's actions, right? Our activities. And during a push, it's people actually committing and, and finding out what they're capable of. And so many times when they do that, they realize that they were so much more capable than they even knew. And the reality is in life, the more times that we put ourselves in those positions where we grow ourselves, the more times that you know we were put in a position where we're challenged and we said like, oh, if I could have done that, I could do this, right? And the goal is to level ourselves up. I'm about to turn 31, which is crazy. I don't have a wife and kids yet. I have two puppies. And I can tell you right now, it is, it's hard to have two puppies. And it isn't going to be easier when I do have a wife and kids and puppies and, and that type of stuff. And life doesn't get easier as you get older. So you need to do things now to make yourself better. And that will make life feel easier as it's more difficult. Right? And there's certain people that stay where they are. And then as life gets more difficult and they have more on their plate, they crumble. Yep. It does get harder. And I hope you listen to this like 10 years from now and go, man, how, how wise I was already back then at <laughs> age 31. I realized it was going to be more challenging. So good, great stuff, Owen. This has been really good. What does the future hold for the Legacy Division team? Yeah. So I was saying this to you earlier, as a competitive person, I want to just be like, we're going to be the best division in three years, which is the goal, right? Like the goal is, is to break records. But really, we're just going to you know, keep getting better. And uh, individually and uh, as a team with our programs and the impact that we make on people, our goal is, is to break records and just really make an impact on our region. And one of the things that has always motivated me has been a factor of you know, motivation is wanting to create something for Earl, for the region manager who took over as my like, DVM my first year and has always uh, given me any time I needed. And I just feel like he deserves to be, you know, obviously you all are amazing. You guys are all amazing, but I want him to be the top region manager in the company. Uh, he's just a good guy. He's an amazing leader. I'm super competitive. I just love building a culture where people thrive and become the best versions of themselves constantly. And uh, we're just going to move forward. We're going to help the people use this opportunity as a vehicle that can get them closer to the future of their dreams, right? regardless of what that looks like. Right. So if it's with Cutco full-time, awesome. If it's with Cutco part-time, awesome. If it's with Cutco for a few months and it gets them to where they want to be, awesome. But the reality is like the more people that we create, you know, the life of their dreams, like the more that we're going to do impressive things. And we're just excited about making an impact and, and getting better every day. That's great. I love that you want to pay it forward uh, or pay it back to uh, Earl Kelly for what he's done for you. And, uh, and for the record, if Earl wins the Region Silver Cup, I'll be one of the first people to call and congratulate him. And I'd rather lose to him than keep losing to Lloyd. Like Lloyd's got enough of these things, you know. Sure. Anyway. Yeah, I were like, uh, like I made the joke to my team about. Uh, I saw Drew Frank post a picture of his silver cups, and I'm like, guys, this is getting ridiculous. Like he doesn't even have room to store these things anymore. Like we need to step up. We need to take a few off his hands. So, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, hey, just to uh, wrap things up. Uh, Owen, the theme of the podcast is about changing lives. And as you look into your your own future, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you do? There's a few things about Cutco or, or Vector that are just different, right? Like I, I say to my reps all the time is obviously like I want people that are better at selling knives, but 
the way that you get better at selling knives is by becoming a better person, right? The, the, you don't just become a better salesperson or a better knife shower or whatever. And one of the things that I think is so important that we offer is an environment of growth and encouragement. You know, I, as a student, the only time my friends when I was in college uh, really cheered me on was when I was funneling a beer or doing beer pong or, you know, something like that. And I love that people asked me questions about what I was reading and like different skill set type things. I love how challenging, but also rewarding the opportunity is. Right. Uh, saying that I love is, you know, if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And uh, one of my my districts who Lily is, is should get a, a shout out on this. She loves saying that uh, the business grows with you. And uh, it's it's so true. Right. Like as a rep and then, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And then as a more experienced rep, as you grow, your business grows to the level that you grow yourself. Right. Uh, I love that we're teaching people, you know, so many things that are are translatable. In not only in professional aspects, but in also just like personal aspects in every aspect of their life. Obviously, you know, we teach financial development and in leadership academy and that type of stuff, which I never heard people talk about. And it's almost a shame that finances in so many different departments are almost like a taboo to talk about because people should be talking about finances more so that they actually understand it. But just having better relationships with people. And there's so many different areas that the skill set, time management, planning, goal setting, communication. I personally, one of the things that I try to build is a culture of acceptance because I, I personally believe that we live in a world where unfortunately there's, there's certain people that have never felt accepted before. And I was talking to one of my, assist, one of my new assistant managers the other day uh, where he was excited about running interviews. And I shared with him how humbling it is the first time that you offer someone a position and they cry because they've never felt wanted before. Mm. And I love that we look for reasons to give someone a chance when a lot of other people like look for the reasons not to give them a chance. We give people something to work towards and, and then we reward them for their effort. Right? We help people find like motivation. And you know, many times we help people realize that they were more capable than they ever even thought they were. And I just love that we help people become, you know, the most confident, excited, grown version of themselves. And, uh, and you know, it really is so true that like Cutco and Vector is that vehicle that can take people from where they want to be to or where they are to where they want to be. Exactly. So great. Excellent stuff, Owen. I appreciate all the value you've added today. Congratulations on your official promotion to division manager. I know the legacy team is going to have some exciting years ahead. You're an inspirational guy. It's been a lot of fun talking to you today. I very much appreciate having you as a guest here. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Owen Trapp. That was fun, everyone. Exactly uh, what I said about why I love uh, hosting this podcast is being able to have conversations like that and get to know people that I haven't had a chance to talk to a whole lot. And that was great. The whole concept about working hard for something you really love is passion, right? Versus working hard in something where you, you know, don't really love it or don't have big goals or whatever. And that's where it's sort of stress. But that distinction between having passion for what you do, I thought that was great. The notion of self-education and ongoing learning being critical, whether you're a great student academically or not, doesn't matter uh, at this point at least. Uh, you still have to be able to learn 
to be successful in life and grow and evolve. And having that mentality of wanting to learn is so critical. My favorite part of this was when Owen talked about the process of digging in one-on-one with individuals on his team and helping them to first see it bigger, right? Building their belief, building their confidence, then helping them level up their skills to be able to achieve the success that you see for them and that you help them to see and how he ultimately came to feel better about other people's success than about his own. That is a sage point, very wise. It's something that all of you will probably realize later on in life if you don't already that your own personal achievements are great and they're positive and you should strive to do great things. But what you're really going to get the most valuable from is in the ways that you help others to achieve. And through that process, you'll gain more yourself. It's really the theme of what we do here in Vector and the theme of this podcast, right? Is that we're all here to change people's lives and help people to grow and learn and evolve. And the more we do that, the more we improve our own life at the same time. Who can you dig into in your organization? Make a list of the key people in your team and start today digging in one-on-one, one at a time, helping them to see it bigger, to level up their skills, and to achieve more. Through that process, repeatedly, you can develop a massive organization with tons of success and you'll gain a tremendous amount of fulfillment in the process. Hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.